This episode was recorded on the land of the Larrakia people, a vibrant Aboriginal nation and the traditional owners of the Darwin region. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, acknowledging their deep spiritual connection with country and their responsibility for ensuring that it is respected by all that use it. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your host, Kirsty Costa. If you are listening to this episode the week that it goes live, happy 2024. And if you're not, happy whatever month and year you are in. Friends, it's been a fun start to the year with over 50 of us in the Weekend Birder community starting a very relaxed local big year. The challenge is how many birds can you see in your local area? I've set myself a goal for over 100 species, but this is not a hardcore competition. I work full-time and I produce this podcast, so I'll be doing it amongst all my other commitments. It's just a bit of fun, really, and you're welcome to join us at any time during the year. Details are on the Weekend Birder website. Speaking of birding in your neighbourhood, this is our second episode about great places to go birdwatching around Australia. We previously heard from Olivia Cogden about birding in Canberra, and in this episode we get to hang out with Dr Amanda Lilliman. Amanda is here to not only share her favourite places to go birding in Darwin, but also to talk about how a community is working together to protect an important bird habitat. But first, here is how Amanda's birdwatching story started. First got interested in birds through undergraduate university where I was studying a Bachelor of Science at Newcastle Uni. I did a course called Australian Fauna and during that course we did all of the different animal survey techniques. So we did mammal trapping with Elliot traps, we were walking up a hillside, so this is in the Wadigans National Park in, in New South Wales, walking up a hillside, flipping over rocks, looking for reptiles. At night, we were going frogging, using triangulation and listening for calls and then spotlighting. And then we were also doing just bird watching with binoculars. And after that, I was hooked on looking for animals. And so I bought all of these different guides, frog guide, mammal guide, uh, the reptile guide and the bird guide. And I used to go out with friends from uni looking for animals. So we'd go out looking at nighttime for frogs and reptiles and it was really great fun, but it was also a lot of work because you'd go out and sometimes you wouldn't see some of the things that you were looking for. But then I noticed that I could look for birds during the day, all throughout the day, and sometimes I wouldn't even have to search for them, but they'd be around me nearby. So this is just in suburbia, you know, sulfur crested cockatoo, spotted dove on the east coast, and then also channel billed cuckoo, which I love. And so I had that bird guide uh, back then. It was I had the Simpson and Day field guide, um, Birds of Australia. And I'd just study that and I'd go out and I'd go for a drive. I'd, I'd take my little camera out and go and look for birds and everything was new. So it was like I was exploring and I was finding all of these new animals, which was great because one of the things I noticed was I was like already starting to list. So everything I was seeing, whether it was bird, mammal, reptile, frog, whatever, I'd write it in my list. So I started doing that just in little notebooks and I realized that I was hooked on birds and so then I started doing all of my university assignments on birds and then really became obsessed with the bush stone curlew of all of the birds. So that was like my kind of favorite species to focus some of my uni assignments on. 
The thing was, I didn't actually see the Bushstone Curlew when I was living on the East Coast, so New South Wales, but I was part of a group, a community, doing these regular surveys for the birds. And where I was living in Empire Bay, we had areas which were marked as like Bushstone Curlew habitat. And those areas you were supposed to leash your dog or not have your dog there at all because it was known as like where the Bushstone Curlew was. I would go out and be a part of these surveys, listening and looking for the Bushstone Curlew, but I never actually saw it on the East Coast. But what intrigued me was this wildlife and human conflict aspect. So a really simple thing to help this bird was to just not disturb them, like to not let your dog off the lead or to not even take a dog in an area where the Bushstone Curlew would live. That was um, part of the appeal, I think, was that human-wildlife conflict. In Season 3, we will do a whole episode on stone curlews because those amazing birds deserve their own episode. Here's how Amanda's study, volunteering and bird curiosity led her to Darwin. I decided I wanted to live in Darwin mostly because I wanted to do research on shorebirds. What ended up happening was I volunteered on a biodiversity expedition in the Kimberley based out of El Questro. And this was just in my third year of university. So I was just about to finish, but I was able to take a few weeks off the course study to go and volunteer on this field trip. And it was with some research scientists from the uni. So it slotted in really nicely with my courses. And so I went and did that and I got the taste of tropical bird watching. So we flew through Darwin, we stayed overnight, we went to places like Berry Springs and saw flocks of red-tailed black cockatoos, rose-crowned fruit doves, emerald doves, you hear rainbow pitters. And then went to the Kimberley for three weeks, which was just incredible. And that's when I first got to see Gordy and Finches. And then I went back to the East Coast and I realised that I absolutely cannot go to a job in consulting as I had just signed a contract to start a full-time role in in a consultancy and I just thought I knew I had to go into research and so my next step after the undergraduate degree was to go into an honours and so what I did when I got back to New South Wales after my tropical trip was I literally just googled shorebirds honours because I knew I wanted to work on shorebirds because I had been studying the bushstone curlew I'd also been volunteering with the Hunter Bird Observers Club, counting shorebirds in the Hunter Estuary every month. First thing that came up was a project, an honours project on shorebirds in Darwin about the human disturbance and dog disturbance of shorebirds. So it was like it could not have been a more perfect fit after me being obsessed about the bushstone curlew and human and wildlife conflict. So it was a perfect fit. I applied they let me have the project and within two weeks I was in that car driving from New South Wales up to Darwin and I quit the contract for the consultancy and I was about to go and live in Darwin and and so that's how I got to Darwin and working on shorebirds. For our Weekend Birder international listeners and people not familiar with Darwin, it is on Larrakea country and is the capital city of the Northern Territory. It is the smallest, wettest and most northerly of Australia's capital cities and has a population of about 140,000 people. I love so many things about Darwin. I love the lifestyle, the slow lifestyle, the low human population. It means that like there's nothing, nothing is busy. I go back to New South Wales and I go to Sydney 
and it's just chaos. I go to Melbourne, there's so many people. And when you're away from that for so long, it, it is like a shock to the system and it just reinforces that I love this kind of relaxed lifestyle and just not so many people and, and people that just don't care that much about lots of things. <laughs> there's a lot of people that care about a lot of things, but just in general, it's it's just this laid back attitude. It's really, it's really great. So I love that. But one of the things that I love and I didn't notice until I moved away from Darwin of how much of an importance it had in my life and, and quality of life is just the greenery. So like the lush, green, tropical vegetation all around me, you know, seeing palm trees against beautiful, bright blue sky, which is like most of the year. So I love all of that. I love the heat because I hate the cold. So I don't mind that it's really hot and humid up here. That can be like a real sticking point for some people, particularly in like October, November during the build up. But it's a great, it's just great, easy lifestyle, nice warm weather. You don't have to wear a big coat or anything. And then of course the bird song and the birds all around us. Darwin is the city of birds. We've got over one third of all Australian bird species within the Darwin CBD LGA local government area which is just incredible and you really notice it and all of those things contribute to just your quality of life and your existence and I, I think yeah all of those things are really important to to me and where I want to live and and just be based so it's nice. Amanda has three favorite places to go bird watching near Darwin and it may come as no surprise to you that her first suggestion is Kakadu National Park which is about three hours drive from Darwin's CBD. I love Kakadu with all of its different habitat types and beautiful rock formations. And of course, with some of that, those different habitats and the rock formations, you get those birds that are found in those areas. And um, it's also home to an array of species that occur there and nowhere else in the world. I did spend a lot of time going to places in Kakadu looking for some of these endemics. It's what they're called. And sometimes not seeing them, but then it takes you back there and you you go and explore until you see these birds. So places like Burungai or Nulangi Rock is an incredible spot where you kind of drive into the car park, park your car, and you start walking and it's all on paths, but you're surrounded by these huge rocky boulders all around you. And it's really cool and shady because it's a bit of a gully and it's got beautiful palm trees and monsoon forest type plants. And if you look up into the crowns of those trees, that's where you can see things like the black banded fruit dove, which you can only find in that part of the world. The really amazing thing about how these, how big these rock formations are is that when you hear a bird call when they're up in the sandstone escarpment, the call just carries across the entire escarpment. So a bird like the white-lined honeyeater, which is another top-end kakadu Arnhem Land endemic, you hear that call and it just travels across the whole rocky landscape. And it's really cool. You, you walk, you do this loop through this rocky gully and over a little creek, there's a bridge. It's all very accessible. And you do walk up a few rocks and you get this beautiful lookout to have a good view of over the Savannah woodland and then onto that rocky landscape. And that's a really good spot where sometimes if you're there and you hear the call, then you can look across and, and see some of these birds. Birds like the chestnut quilled rock pigeon as well and sandstone shrike thrush. They're all birds that if you want to see them, 
if you're listing or not listing or photographing, then Kakadu is, is the place to go and see them. And one of my other favorite walks at Kakadu, and it feels like it's a little bit of this like hidden gem. It's called the Bardajiliji Walk and it's right next to Ubir and Cahill's Crossing. So most people, when they drive out that way, they're going to Ubir or to the crossing to go and watch crocodiles. And I love both of those things. I love sitting at the at the lookout at Cahill's and, and looking at crocodiles in the water. If you go there and you've got enough time in the afternoon, which is generally my preferred time to go bird watching, you can just do this loop walk around Bardajiliji and there's they're kind of like these huge rock formations, like it's entirely flat ground, but they're just like popping up like cathedral type big rocks. They've got this like stacked formation to them. And that's also an amazing spot to see chestnut-quilled rock pigeons. I've had a really good experience just watching those birds there. When you're quiet and you just sit on some of these rocks and in the shade, you can just watch these birds do their thing. Uh, it's, it's truly an incredible place. I love Kakadu. I love that you can just go there and see some of these birds and know that those birds only occur there. I think that's a really special thing. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the Weekend Birder website and a Google map of the places that Amanda has just mentioned. I've got your back. Closer to Darwin, one of Amanda's favourite places to go birding is the East Point Reserve. East Point is a council reserve. I really like that area because it's got a range of habitat types. So you can go to the East Point Reserve, which is like less than 10 minutes from Darwin City and from Darwin Airport, Darwin International Airport. So you go there and you've got a selection of monsoon vine thicket forest walks, which are really nice maintained paths through the forest. It's a great place to see and hear birds like the northern fantail and greenback jerigony, rainbow pitta as well, and then a whole array of butterfly species. So you can go there and get kind of deep in the jungle and it's really nice and shady. You can also go out to the coastal area to the rocky cliffs and see shorebirds on across all of the rocks. Now, of course, there's people going fishing there. So sometimes there's disturbance. There's human disturbance to shorebirds everywhere. But we um, are part of a group that does surveys there every month. So we go there and we count birds on all of the rocky areas where the shorebirds are. And you can see a whole array of species. 20 to 25 different shorebirds. These are the migratory shorebirds. Away from there, if you start driving out, you can go to this little boardwalk where there's another path and it's really nice and gentle, easy walking. But the really great thing is that it's actually got a boardwalk through the mangroves and it's only short, but you go through, it's entirely tidal. So on our biggest tides, and in Darwin we have tides of up to eight metres, the tide will cover the boardwalk. But if you get the timing right, you can walk all the way out and see the tide like lapping up at the boardwalk and and you're in amongst the mangrove forest. Or if it's low tide, you can see the entire sand flat out across Ludmilla Bay towards Nightcliff. All of these areas like East Point, Ludmilla Bay and Nightcliff just nearby, they're all internationally important for uh, a range of migratory shorebird species. So it's also another thing of, you know, knowing that and going out and being able to contribute to um, to monitoring, counting some of these birds to better understand populations um, is another kind of special thing. But when you go out to this mangrove boardwalk, you can hear things like the black butcher bird and sacred kingfisher and teresian or mangrove collared kingfisher, whichever list you follow depends on its name. 
And it's just incredible, like another beautiful shady spot. And, you know, up here in the tropics, you want to seek out shade when you can, particularly um, during like hotter parts of the day. So it's a great place to go and just hang out, relax, be amongst mangrove trees. And then, yeah, nearby, connected to that East Point Reserve, there's also the spot on Marine Salt Pan, which is another one of our shorebird sites that we monitor. It's like long, kind of oval, like a football field. And it's a, it's a naturally occurring salt pan, so bordered by mangroves. Again, on those big tides, you see the, the tide just creep up the salt pan all the way up to the road, actually. So on our biggest tides during low pressure times of the year, during the monsoon season, the uh, tide will actually come up to the road and cover it, which is really cool. But of course, the birds also get pushed up too. And then they, the birds don't want to be too close to the road, so they actually fly off. The final spot that Amanda recommends you go birdwatching in Darwin is a place that has been very close to her heart. My favourite place, and I left this to last um, because it's probably my top favourite place, is Lee Point. Lee Point Beach to Buffalo Creek is the entire reason I came to Darwin in the first place to do my honours study about those shorebirds and how they're affected by disturbance by humans and humans and dogs. That whole beach, it's, um, it's maybe like two kilometres long from Lee Point to Buffalo Creek. It's part of the Casuarina Coastal Reserve and it's considered a no-dog beach. You park your car and you get out, you walk through like a beautiful grassy reserve. Parks and wildlife, like they know about the shorebirds and they care and they love the shorebirds. And so they've got lots of signs about the birds. And then they've also invested in these beautiful, huge statues of shorebirds, which are in this like sand pit and they were commissioned by parks that, and they were made by a local artist, like a weaving artist, but she made them out of um, like metal materials. So they sit in the sand pit and they're so big that humans can go and like sit on them or sit next to them and take a photo. So we've got those and then we've got these other huge laser cut shorebird signs there too, like two meters by two meters. And they're of great knots because the most abundant shorebird in Darwin and particularly at Lee Point Beach is the Great Knot, one of our critically endangered shorebirds. So then you pop out onto the beach. If you go to the right, it's a no dog zone. If you go to the left at this point, it's a dog zone. So when we do our shorebird counts, we go to the right and we walk along the beach and it's bordered by casuarina trees. And you continue walking along and then you come across some mangroves and there is a path through the dryland forest and the mangroves out the back. But if you walk along the beach, you just continue walking and then you slowly, eventually, about halfway down the beach, you get to thousands and thousands of shorebirds. And so most of those are great knots. And then we also get lots of uh, greater sand plovers. So there are kind of two most abundant on the beach. And then we get lots of other species, but in much lower numbers. And of course, that changes throughout the year. So there'll be some periods of the year where we we'll suddenly get 1,000 black-tailed godwits, or 1,200 was our highest count in the last year or two. And then you get lots of redneck stints, sandling, lesser sand plover, red knot, of course, bar-tailed godwits, but in much lower numbers because they're one of our birds that has suffered pretty serious declines. And we've seen that at Lee Point over the last 15 to 20 years. I only know that from data because obviously I haven't been here that long. I've, I've only been in Darwin for about 12 years, but I've looked at data collected by volunteers and I've analysed that data to understand what population trends are doing. 
And then also we've got uh, birds like the grey-tailed tatler, Terek sandpiper, Far Eastern curlew, our biggest shorebird in Australia, Wimbrel, common sandpiper, and then resident breeding shorebirds like beach stone curlew, which sometimes nest on the beach, and red-capped plover, pied oyster catcher, sooty oyster catcher, and then lots of other water birds. <laughs> I could have just kept going with a bird list then. If you haven't seen a red knot before, let me describe it to you. It's about 25 centimetres long with a short neck and a long body. Its bill is short and straight. Its legs are short and green-grey in colour. Its underbody is white with light streaking and its upper body is brownish-grey with dark streaks on its head and neck. The reason it's called a red knot is that during breeding season it grows these lovely chestnut red feathers on its body. And the reason that you will never see these red feathers in Australia is that it breeds near the Arctic in North America, Russia, Greenland and Norway, flying south to Australia for our summer. Scientists know that these birds fly non-stop between destinations, but their route along the East Asian Australian flyway is still a bit unknown. You can learn more about this migration route in episode 51 with Jeremy Ringmer. The red knot loves to hang out with other wade ashore birds. You might see it walking fast whilst probing the sand and mud for worms. It also loves crustaceans, spiders, insect seeds and shoots. Here is a recording of its call. Members of the Darwin community love red knots and other shorebirds so much that they have come together to protect them. You might be thinking, why is a birdwatching podcast including a story about a community conservation campaign? Well, friend, you may find at some stage in your birdwatching life that you fall so deeply in love with a group of local birds that you will do anything to ensure their survival. This is what happened to Amanda. Back in 2015, uh, I was kind of midway through my PhD on migratory shorebirds and understanding these birds and the ecological requirements in Darwin Harbour. And so I had been contributing to our understanding and the science of shorebirds in Darwin Harbour for a few years by that stage. I saw a development application for the bushland area of Muirhead, kind of north Muirhead, and a site they called Two Crew. There was a consultation period where concerned community members could write in against the development if they had concerns or issues they wanted to raise. And so I did. I wrote in to this development proposal and I said that the development proposal is within a couple of kilometres from these internationally significant sites. So not only Lee Point and Buffalo Creek, but also to the west there's Sandy Creek, which is also an internationally significant shorebird site. I made those statements, provided the data as well to back those claims and the claim was that introducing more houses and more people to this region within a few kilometres of these internationally significant sites would increase the number of disturbances to the shorebirds just because people love to use these areas for recreational use. So I wrote the letter and I sent it in. It was acknowledged. And then after that, I was engaged as a subcontractor through a consultancy to do the environmental impact assessment for the impacts of disturbances to shorebirds from the development. And I continued to make the claim that this development would have a significant impact on shorebirds through an increased number of disturbances to these birds. And then I also provided recommendations of what to do next, including monitoring and also a very strong community engagement and education 
awareness raising campaign because in my opinion, you need to have both. You need to have the community involved in protection of species. When people care, that's when they'll make change to the conservation outcomes of threatened species. Amanda submitted her report and the whole thing went to bed for a few years. And then in 2020, the Lee Point area was approved for the development. Ian Redmond and Gail Laidlaw decided they would make it their mission to fight this development. We were brought together to discuss this development and what could be done and to start thinking about mapping and looking into the approvals and the studies and then looking at alternative sites. We got together and called a community meeting and on that day, I think it was like the 26th of July 2020, we formed the Friends of Lee Point. And so the Friends of Lee Point group essentially have been running this campaign since that date. I went away for a little while, away from Darwin, and took a step back from the campaign. Things just start to get a bit heavy after a little while when you're kind of fighting the, the fight for so long. This is like long running. It's like I came to Darwin for these shorebirds and for this issue. Ten years later, I was still experiencing that same issue despite meeting with government, despite meeting with ministers. Despite being funded to make signs, to run engagement activities and community events, I was still having the same issue and nothing was changing and it became quite disheartening. So I did take a break. And then I discovered while being away was that there was nowhere else I wanted to be and nothing else I wanted to kind of devote my time to. So I came back to Darwin at the end of 2022 and got straight back into the Lee Point battle. By that stage... Some of the area on on the eastern side of Lee Point Road had been cleared and also during that time the Gordian Finches turned up to the Savannah Woodland around Lee Point and of course there was an investigation into the habitat of the area for Gordian Finches and, and different studies happening in the background. So there was that injunction from, oh, it was nearly a year, it was probably nearly a year or, or eight months or so of stop work for the Gordian Finch essentially. In June 2023, the Federal Environment Minister gave approval for the Lee Point development. Amanda watched activity ramp up on the site, but she had another priority. We decided that we would protect the trees from the upcoming uh, fire season, particularly around Cracker Day, which was the 1st of July. A group of us went out to Lee Point and we raked around the bases of some of these old growth trees. So some of the trees at Lee Point are like between 200 and 400 years old. So by raking the trees, we were removing that fuel load around some of these really large old trees and reducing the chances that they would burn if there was a fire, whether it was arson or not. We became quite connected to some of these trees. And at that moment, we thought to ourselves, it's most likely the bulldozer is going to turn up next week. We need to do something. So I suggested that we go arm to arm as a blockade along the entire fence. And we had some painted banners as well. So we had signs of the Gordian Finch and Saisley Point and banners. And we had decided that we'd also contact the media. And so that Monday was day one of the blockade of the Lee Point peaceful protest. And that's where it all kicked off. And it was one of the busiest, most intense weeks of my life. It was just crazy. The peaceful protest ended up going for over 30 days and then something happened that brought things to a standstill once more. 
the traditional owners of the land uh, was able to submit their cultural heritage application. And so that action allowed for a seven-day stop work. Within the seven-day period of the stop work, Defence Housing Australia, who is the developer in this case, they uh, volunteered into a 30-day stop work. And so here we are on site at the camp and everything you imagine a protest camp to be about was there. It's just this absolutely amazing place for the community to come together. And we also continued to run our bird walks out there. We then found out they were going to volunteer to stop work until March 2024. We got that announcement and we were, we were just like screaming, like crying, loud music. We had all of the crew turn up. Like we just blasted it on socials. People got on the radio about it. The ABC radio even turned up and did interviews and photos and everything. Everyone was just stoked and it was just the biggest relief that we could have had. It was, uh, it was incredible. We were able to pack away our camp and sleep in our own beds. This was a fight where we had people for so long and even during the campaign, we had people and organisations even telling us we wouldn't win, telling us we, we had no chance. It was already in place. But we had continued wins along the way and we're, as a community, supporting the traditional owners who have put their heritage application in. We're going to continue to fight. And we're doing that in the background and we're able to rest and live at home and do our, our kind of background investigative work. It's not over yet, but we, we just continue the fight. We have to do it. What drives Amanda's career in science and her passion for protecting local habitats is her love of birdwatching. Here is her advice to beginner birders. I would advise to get a good bird guide. So at the moment, I'm using the Australian Bird Guide by CSIRO, which is like the bird Bible. So that's your theory. And then you have to complement that with the practical. So getting out there, whether you've got binoculars or no binoculars, or you've got the best binoculars, or you've got really not very good ones, you have to have the two. So what I did starting out was I'd go out, I'd look, I'd listen, I'd go home, I'd just be flicking through the guide, just like going through all the pages, looking, listening, doing my study. And then it would just, it was just that constant like back and forth of the theory and the practical. And, and I think that's really the way, the way to go. Uh, of course, it's different nowadays where you've got social media and there's so many groups, bird identification groups on Facebook and other social media accounts. Lots of people have cameras, which also really helps. But I think you've got to have both. Go back and do your study. And that's the way to, to learn the birds, to learn anything really, isn't it? Many thanks to Amanda for sharing her favourite Darwin birdwatching spots and her story of her commitment to shorebird protection. You can connect with Amanda and follow her story on social media and links can be found in the show notes. The White Lined Honey Eater recording was by Mark Anderson and the Red Knot recording was by Matt Solson. And don't forget to visit the Weekend Better website if you're interested in finding new birdwatching spots or joining the 2024 local big year. <laughs>